0: Hey everybody, welcome back to So You Want to Be in Ministry. I'm Tim. Here at So You Want to Be in Ministry, we are all about getting you to the finish line that God has put in front of you. We do that through three specific focuses. First is just educate you if you're thinking about jumping into ministry. Second is equip you if you're already in. And third, encourage you if you're thinking about jumping out, because we all need encouraging moments. I want to tell you, I I think today's episode is really going to encourage you. Uh, Mark Warnock has done an incredible job uh, just developing in ministry and then developing other pastors in ministry. And uh, I want to read his bio to you. He's got quite a bit of items, so I'm going to read it because I want to make sure I catch all the important details of Mark's career and life because he's got he has really had a full one. So Mark Warnock is one of the pastors at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. He earned his bachelor of music education at Florida State University in 1992 and a master of divinity in South, at Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary in 1995. After serving as a worship pastor for churches in Illinois for 17 years, he returned to Florida in 2013 to join a Family Church. Dr. Warnock completed his PhD in Christian Philosophy at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in 2017, specializing in moral and political philosophy. He is the author of The Complete Seminary Survival Guide and has contributed to and edited several other books. Dr. Warnock directs the residency program and FC Institute at Family Church and serves as the church planting catalyst with the North American Mission Board. Uh, He is single, which gives him plenty of time to read, cook, run, hit the gym, and still be in bed by 930. Uh, I love that bio. Uh, We actually get into some of those things even at the end there. Uh, So looking forward to getting into that. I do want to tell you, uh, I did have internet issues. I'm sure it was on me and my fault. So I apologize for that. There are going to be a little bit of glitches in the audio. There is a major glitch in the video if you're watching on YouTube. I apologize for all of that, but the content was so good. I just couldn't skate by it or try to redo it. It was just too good. So apologize for those little moments that you may see along the way. But it is great, and let's get into it well hey mark so glad to have you here today with us uh it's an absolute pleasure you know i did not know Man, it was has it been feels like it's been like 15 years when we first met uh 15 years ago maybe it was at a youth camp and i got stuck in your area and uh oh, lucky you <laughs> <laughs> and here we are years later <laughs> so, yeah
1: that's, that's right uh i couldn't tell you how long it's been uh you know time has no meaning i've i've been back down in florida about 9 years now yeah so all i was prior to that so uh yep yeah yep.
0: It, it was really good to get to meet i'm so glad i got to meet you then and it's been really good to get to interact with you at different intervals over those a uh, little over a decade so i know yeah. you're in florida too and i am a little bit jealous in we're currently in our winter season so definitely jealous uh, of your location right now
1: look man You can live up there, but you don't have to. You don't have to.
0: (laughs) That is true. That is true. Uh, So tell us a little bit uh, about your current role, and then just give us the highlights of how you got into ministry, and then maybe even how you ended up in that role.
1: Okay. So right now, I'm the residency director for Family Church uh, down in South Florida, Family Church is a growing network of uh, right now, 14 congregations, mm-hmm. um, kind of a multiplying church. And um, but uh, even across all of our campuses, organizationally, we're one church. And so uh, there's a leadership pipeline in Family Church, which is a residency program like we have other stuff. But I um, that's the primary responsibility that I have is to run uh the residency and i relate to our other leadership development stuff and kind of hand in hand with that i'm also a church planting catalyst with the north american mission board and i work with the big florida team and specifically the south florida team and uh uh, kind of organizing things locally in palm beach county and encouraging in that way and it's all it is all fun Uh, honestly tim it's the kind of thing that uh, it would be hard for me to create a job description that's a better fit for me than what I'm doing right now. It's really kind. Of, I'm I'm amazed by
0: it. Yeah how did how did you uh, get into ministry? So like where did it, where was the starting point? Maybe your call. Yeah, great uh, question. Yeah,
1: yeah, great question. So uh, uh, raised in a Christian family, but not a believer until my first at Florida State. Um, I was kind of doing a typical college thing, living for myself, came to the end of that. And um, God woke me up from the dead my second semester up there. And um, part of the process of waking me up from that was me responding to an invitation to be part of a mission team for the summer. Halfway through that summer, so I've been saved like a couple months. You know, God was very clear with me about I want you serving your life in ministry. And I was scared and I didn't know what that meant, but uh, <laughs> I said, yes. So I graduated there, went straight to seminary because I didn't know what else to do. And I was young and dumb and it was probably a good way to spend uh, three and a half years. And then uh, out of seminary, I didn't come back to Florida on purpose because I wanted to go somewhere there was need. And Florida at that time was super strong, tons of churches. So um, I wound up going up to a church in Chicago Uh, in the south suburbs and i served as worship pastor there for a while and then uh, transitioned down to uh southern illinois right next to st louis and uh served a church there for 11 years and so that's the illinois connection that's where we met you know super summer and all that stuff um and so it was actually at super summer we were doing a prayer event i saw a statistic about the lostness of south florida and it just lodged in me um Uh, mainly as a prayer burden. So I prayed on it for six months and then the Lord spoke to me very clearly, it's time to go back to Florida. And I didn't know exactly what that meant and I didn't know exactly where I was gonna land, but it was definitely a prayer journey. And uh, the Lord connected me with what they were doing at family church. So I just moved down here and um, I actually became a student in their residency program in the third year it was in existence. And they moved me onto their staff a couple months later to help out in some worship areas, and then as that's grown, they shifted me over into the uh, leadership development area full time. And through family churches connections is how I got connected to uh, the opportunity uh, with Nam, which has been which has been a great great thing. So that's more or less how I got here.
0: Yeah, that's great, man. I guess I can't argue being in Florida when you have that kind of story. So. <laughs> Yeah. That makes yeah. it easier. <laughs> uh, so, with this uh, pipe, pipeline, it really is about yeah. leadership development. So, talk to us a little bit about leadership development because I think we all, if you're in tune with the church landscape at all, you can kind of see that, uh, especially coming out of COVID, we lost quite a bit of leadership within the church. Yeah. And yeah. so, maybe talk a little bit about that and uh, the the crisis that could be there and things like that.
1: Yeah, man. So there's so many factors that are playing into that, but we are facing, um, and we're not the only only industry or only like subset of our culture that's facing this. But inside the church, we're facing an imminent collapse of Christian leadership. Right. So if you look at the statistics, the median age of pastors has been creeping up for a while, mm-hmm. um, and it has gone from like 40 or so 20 years ago, and it's now 57. And so median age means that half of pastors are older than 57. And so COVID did spike. You had a lot of unhealthy pastors who passed away uh, due to COVID, you had some who burned out because of all the political stuff that happened in the wake of COVID. A lot of people like, no, I'm I'm out of here. And so you've had this uh, this contraction in the available body of leaders. And then at the same time, um, in terms of the generations coming up, number one, there's just not that many of them, right? That's just raw demographics. Uh, Gen Z, Gen Alpha are smaller. Um, they're also less Christian, So fewer people coming up, fewer Christians coming up means fewer Christians called the ministry coming up, which means there's gonna be all of these vacancies across the range of um, you know, Christian leadership, especially at the local church level, but really everywhere. And um, uh, I, I think part of what we're having to do, and we've been doing this without really talking about it, is rethinking what it means to be qualified leadership. Because back when I got into ministry, you had to be done with seminary really before you got your first church job. There were exceptions, but that was generally the rule. But now it's not that way at all, Mm -hmm. right? It's more like if you have a bachelor's degree and you kind of love Jesus, we'll let you get started. And then seminary and that kind of ministry prep becomes more like an executive MBA. It's something that you just kind of chop away on as you're doing your ministry. That's become more than one. Well, now even that is not enough of a pipeline. And so we discovered this with Board in the church planting sphere for a while because there for uh, many years there's like this wave of youth dude like we're chomping at the bit and they wanted to do it better than their lead pastor so they're like I'm going to go start my own church so you had a whole wave of those but um, honestly that that has all just kind of dried up so now let me bring it to my own context here at Family Church okay. so uh, Jimmy Scroggins comes down he's our lead pastor. He comes down to what was at that time First Baptist West Palm Beach. And they hadn't had a pastor for five years. Really struggling. There's a very committed core here, but the church had a lot of problems. So he came in, he made a lot of hard decisions, righted the ship, and then kind of looked around and said, you know, this church has been dreaming the mega church dream. We've wanted people from all over Palm Beach County to draw drive down to the big mothership by the water. And he's like, that is just not going to happen. We're going to have to take church to them. So he revision family church as a network of neighborhood churches. But one of the first things that they did in order to fuel that. Is they set up the residency program as a leadership pipeline to produce leaders inside family church to be able to help us multiply these things, because in our context, down in Florida, You know, people like the idea of Florida and they like Florida for vacation. But living here is different. And there's a lot of people who maybe they're from South Carolina or Georgia or whatever, and they're seminary grads. And they're like, oh, Florida, let's go down there. Then they move down here and they find out that they don't like it because there's a lot not to like. I happen to love it. But uh, people find Florida like it's different, man. It's different. You, and so we can't rely on all these people coming down from outside the area. We had to grow them ourselves. And so that's part of what
0: Yeah, you actually, I remember one time you told me, um, as we talked through different ministry positions, and this was years and years ago, but as I was even trying to consider what might be next for me, and you even said you need to imagine that you're a missionary if you come here because you're coming to a completely different place.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And and like that works at several levels, like there is a guy he's actually one of our campus pastors now, but he was a worship pastor then. So we had taken him and we'd assigned him to like sort of this basically Baptist white campus at the time, like. But he had grown up in Haitian church and like he was finding all of these disconnects. And I had the very same conversation with him. I was like, look. His name is Winner. I was like, Winner, you have to think about yourself as a foreign missionary, and you're going to have to do cross-cultural contextualization to reach these white people that you're leading, you know, who are Baptisty Baptists. Anyway, so anyway, he learned a lot about that, and he was actually really, really good at it, and everybody really loved him. And that church also has grown and has become more like South Florida. The other interesting thing about Florida is that um, diversity is the exception in most other places like if you go to toronto it's a big city there's a lot of diversity but it's in pockets you'll have the indian corner over here and the chinese corner and the white people over here and blah 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 and there's not a lot of intermixing but in south florida everything is diverse all the time Hmm. everybody is everywhere and there are no little enclaves really i mean there are some but you have less of that here than in a lot of metropolitan. All mm-hmm.
0: right. So, how so you've, you have this uh leadership pipeline. Take us through uh how you find out about somebody even being interested or are are they are they qualified? So you talked about qualification. Like what are you looking uh, for? All all of that.
1: Okay. All right. So, um a couple other things I have to say about our search for leaders because we're mm-hmm. trying to find leaders in South Florida. One of the things about South Florida is that it's kind of expensive, okay? and you kind of have to like it to be you done. Know. So what we've tried to do is identify people who are already here,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who have full-time jobs and families. So we've been trying to find vocational people who are already embedded in South Florida. Yeah. Um, that saves us a lot of expense. It saves us a lot of turnover in leadership, that kind of thing. And the thing is, and I think this is probably true in just about every church is there will be people who are steady, faithful church members who back when they were kids, the Lord stirred in them something about serving him, something about leading. Maybe there is a calling to ministry, but then maybe they went to school and then they got married and had some kids and need to pay the bills and la 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 and life just kind of carried them along. Yeah. Well, we have found a number of people mid-career who are able then to come into a bivocational training method, right? Um, and they're able to give kind of like a part-time job space, both to that that development and later to serving in a bivocational capacity. Mm-hmm. And um, they can turn into really flourishing leaders. As a matter of fact, this fall, we're going to launch... We're going to launch Family Church uh, up in Jensen Beach, and there's a residency grad who's going to be the lead church planter up there, and that is exactly his story. He uh, served in ministry as a young man, and then he got into corporate world, and he's married, and he's got four kids, Um, but he got into our residency, and we found out he's a really effective community leader, and he served with us and grew with us, and so now we offered him the thing he's stepping away now mm. from, uh, from the corporate world, and he's going to take up a full-time mantle and help us launch this, uh, launch this church. And he's, he's kind of one of the, one of the success stories for sure.
0: Cool. Do you think uh, this is a little bit side, uh, sidebar <laughs> to this, but, uh, do you think bivocational vocational is going to have to become a main thing to kind of lean into this, uh, leadership gap?
1: Yes definitely for a couple of reasons. Um, Number one, bivocational, it's the future, but it's also the past. Like most churches in the history of Christianity, and I would even bet if you go globally, most churches right now have bivocational leadership. Because most churches are small, you know, 40, 60 people, Mm -hmm. and uh, they don't have, like the whole like full-time staff thing that you and I have been living in is really a historical aberration. Yep. Um, like you've you've had it, but it's not been the main thing in terms of like on-the-ground Christian leadership. So yep. like there's uh, there's a there's a long history tradition of it, and I think we're going to have to revalue it. Um, one reason is because of the leadership shortage, we're going to have to press into bi-vocational people to help fill the gap. That's one reason. Another reason is um, uh, the church is going to be more f- in in a more fragile position to, to the culture that is becoming more and more hostile to our central convictions. And so, um, like we're a couple of legislative votes away from the taxation of churches. Right now, I don't see it on the horizon immediately, but it could happen. And if that happened, churches would not be able to sustain full time, full time people. Yeah. And so to, to find somebody whose primary way of supporting themselves and their family is outside the church, both helps the church uh, expand its leadership base faster because we don't have to support middle class families at, a you know, that, that kind of income level. Mm-hmm. And it gives greater security to the leaders because they're not depending on it. Right. And so if you go into a church with a cranky deacon board, you don't have to worry about losing your livelihood. Like you can just square up against them. It's like, what are you going to do? Fire me? Like, I'm not going to lose anything. Right. Or they can say, well, you know, heck with you. I'm just not going to do this anymore. I don't have to. Right. Uh, I can serve God for free. I'll start a Bible study in, you know, in my apartment or something. And so um, uh, having what I would call, you know, uh, financial walk away money or walk away opportunities like there's there's a more uh, salacious term for it that I won't mention. But. Um, but I, I think that's going to introduce a number of uh, a kind of freedom for Christian. Music. And the other thing we've discovered with bivocational people is they don't have time to fill their schedules with useless things. That sometimes churches tend to accumulate, mm-hmm. right? If they're Bible, they don't have that much time. They can only do what's absolutely essential. And so the other great thing about that is it airs you down to the most fundamental basics of preaching and teaching in evangelism and discipleship and shepherding and care. We don't have time for other stuff. So.
0: Awesome. Okay. So, You're looking inward people that are in South Florida, people that are within family church, uh, is there need to be something true about them within the context of the local church that like, do they seek you out? Do you seek them out? How does that? Yeah. That's a great
1: question. Yeah. You asked me like three questions ago, how I discovered people and I've been dancing around that's all right. It's all Um, good. (laughs) When we started the residency program, it was about half and half people from down here versus people who would move in from out of area. To kind of, you know, right now, like on the English side of our residency program, uh, I'm about to graduate 12 on the English side. And one of them moved in from out of area. So years. part of that is family church has a bigger footprint. We have more people to draw on for this kind of leadership development. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, the way we um, identify them mainly is uh, I'm asking campus pastors who they have who's already leading, who already has a little spark in them and who might be open to being developed. Um, And honestly, like sometimes we'll we'll do the big announcement, hey, we're having a residency preview. And the ones that show up and you say, well, how would you find out about it or what what made you come? And they're like, well, the Holy Spirit just moved me. Usually they're not good candidates. Right. It's the ones we already know about. Those are the ones that, uh, those are the ones we really, uh, we really need. So I'm looking for six things more or less. Um, and I've learned this the hard way over the years. Uh, the first thing that I'm looking for is emotional intelligence. All right. It's the first thing that I'm looking for. Um, I need a pen to write these (laughs) steps. Well, no, you can just like, listen to the podcast and (laughs) take notes later. (laughs)
0: I can, but I may have questions.
1: <laughs> so, uh, the reason we found this is people who are like really into Jesus, there's a cat subcategory of them that I might occasionally have been in myself mm-hmm. called the religious weirdo.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. The person that doesn't have the social skills who, like, you know, look, that we have them at every church. Mm-hmm. and they're great, and I'm sure they love Jesus, they're not leadership material, correct? right? Because mm-hmm. you can invest in them, but they're not going to attract anybody. They're not going to lead anybody. They're not going to have the kind of magnetism. So that's the first thing that I look for um, is emotional intelligence. You've got to have a halfway decent level of social awareness. Right? Okay. So I look for that. And then basically, I look for people who are already doing in a small way what we want to see them doing in a large way. So they're already growing spiritually. Okay, we want to pour fuel on that fire. They're already living missionally. They're thinking about their neighbors or they're pouring into people that they meet at church. They're already kind of leaning into that a little bit. Okay, we want to pour uh, fuel on that fire. They're already taking a learner's posture and are eager to be built in and to grow. Um, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four. So emotional intelligence, um, spiritual growth, missional living. Um, they have either an aspiration to or a calling to lead in a greater way. Okay. Okay. And I'll take either one. I'll come in, oh yeah, the Lord's really called me, stirring me, blah, blah, blah. And others come in and they'll say, No, I just see the need and I kind of want to be part of the solution. So I'll take it either either one. Because, like a person with an aspiration, one of the things we talk about in the residency is calling, and maybe they've never thought about it in those terms. Okay. And then the last thing is I want a strong recommendation from one of our leaders who knows them. Okay. Okay? Um, Our residency program goes for two years. Part of the reason for that is that if you're dealing with five occasional people, you can't get everything in in a year. Yeah, right. You're sort of doing it on a part time basis. So it takes longer. But the other thing that's great about two years is nobody can fake it for two
0: years.
1: (laughs) They can fake it for one because this has happened to me like I've like I've had the fakes run out in the second year. Right. Mm. And so two years is a great amount of time to observe a person, their character, how they respond to pressure uh their family and how they manage those relationships all that kind of thing you know the bible says we shouldn't lay hands on anyone too hastily this is one way that we kind of take our time
0: yeah so you have a built-in uh you built in patience
1: (laughs) yes yeah that's
0: really good And, and look
1: man wouldn't it be awesome if we could microwave leaders if I could take a guy and one month later, he's a baller. But that never happens. All leaders are in the crockpot Yeah. Like even like I, I think about me, I got saved when I was 18, uh, started uh, full-time ministry when I was 25. And I've been cooking all this time. In some ways, I feel like I'm just maturing to the kind of godly leadership that the Lord maybe had on his mind. And I you know, I still have plenty, plenty to work on. You know, we're decades yeah. in. Yeah.
0: That I feel that way too. Like I uh I've been doing this for just under two decades now. And uh that yeah. I feel that way in a lot of ways where I'm like, I feel like I'm just starting to understand yeah. what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. Um the the other thing that I'll mention about this is um uh, is in the great thing about residency is that it's it's a pathway and it's intentional, but the real heart of it is just that we're, it, it's the people investment. It's the, you know, but like a lot of times people talk to me, I wanna start up a residency program at my church. Tell me about your curriculum, blah, blah, blah. They wanna talk about the process. I'm like, the process is the least important part, mm. right? The most important part is you have somebody willing to be interested in and somebody willing to invest. everyone who i've ever talked to who got into ministry and you ask them what was the thing that got you into ministry a lot of the times they're going to say well it was my youth pastor or my college pastor or this guy at church or the my friend who led me to faith or this person who discipled me it's the personal touch and Ah, uh, the relational aspect of of the investment—that's um, really the sauce of leadership development. And like what we're doing in residency is just kind of a dressed-up, organized uh, way of doing that.
0: Do you keep? But, do you keep adjusting the process, like as far as classes or anything like that? Do you keep refining it?
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 We make a we make adjustments every year because um, yeah. for us. Um, Uh, Pastor Scott has told me the residency does not have to be successful, right? For us, it belongs in the category research and development. And the point of R and D is not to succeed. The point of R and D is to learn it's to learn. And so every year we learn more about how to develop leaders and how to, and so at the end of the year, I kind of take stock and then we'll tweak some things about the process. Um, Like, for instance, one of the things that we've learned along the way is the importance of emotional intelligence as a selection. Yeah,
0: so that's right there is another reason why the relationship is so critical, because as you're learning more and you have that relationship, you can just easily go back and say, hey, here's more that we learned that we didn't get to teach you.
1: doing it long enough. Now uh, we're in, I think our 11th year It's like, we have a lot of residency grads who are serving in our network. A lot of them at volunteer levels, some of them part-time and some of them full-time in our network. But um, I recently had my first residency alumni gathering where I pulled them all back, back in and I gave them all a book and we did a little talk and had a dinner together and that kind of thing. And so like, that's a whole nother area of development. Because after you finish the two-year program, you're not done growing. You're not done developing. Some of my folks will start seminary after residency. Okay. All of them will continue serving and growing in that way. And um, a lot of times the pattern is they'll finish residency. They'll kind of keep on serving. And then a few years later, they'll get the nod and then step up level of higher responsibility.
0: Okay. Where would you put – because I've had different individuals uh, uh, debate me or, or maybe even argue with me about where talent falls within that. Uh, and so I know you talked about you want to see uh, that they, they're already doing something on a small scale that you would want to see them do on a larger scale. Would yeah. you – if somebody said like well do they have talent to do something where would you put that in the grand scope of of any of that that you talked about the five areas that you already talked about
1: yeah um or would you you even- know i i don't really care about talent yeah. i just don't care right because talent is a it's a it's sort of a Secular way of talking about Right Um, I I know what's Meant by that because you know particularly Like um, In the Area of music and in the area Of like preaching teaching Mm -hmm. There's some people who are really Talented and everybody Wants them Yep, Everybody wants them and so talented guys Can you know You know they can kind of write their Ticket if they want to do it But then the problem is we've seen a lot of those guys where their talent outruns their character. Right. So I'm far more interested in, like, when I say, how are they growing spiritually? How are they living missionally? That kind of thing. I'm I'm asking that from an obedience perspective. I'm asking it from a discipleship perspective, not a, oh, man, this guy's a baller. We got to get in like that that's a reality and we're not blind to it or immune to it. But just for me, it's not that Im- I was probably more important for other people in our organization who are making leadership selection things. And they may pay attention to that um, a little more than I do. But like Tim, you and I have been in this long enough that we know that faithfulness will trump talent in the long run. And like, I'm in this thing to play long ball, man. I, I, I don't want to, two-year flash-in-the-pan leader who flits onto the next thing or burns out or fails morally. We've had plenty of that, man.
0: Yep, we have. I'm there with you. I, I know you already know that, but just to make sure it's clear, that's where I'm at No, too. no, no. Yeah. I, I understand. Yeah, it's a good I, question, though. I am very much more focused on faithfulness, obedience, teachability, uh, interacting, like caring about people. Yeah, way more than how good you are at something uh because if you're faithful and you're teachable you will get better uh in some areas mm-hmm. in some areas it may be massive and in other areas it may be minimal but you're going to get better because you just have that posturing
1: well it's so interesting because we're coming out of a season of the evangelical church's life where the importance of talent and entertainment and engagement and, as in a, and a form of church life that uh, is stimulating has been kind of the primary driver of of the main things of what we're doing. But like, you look at what's happening at Asbury. Mm-hmm. Asbury is not about talent, man. Mm-hmm. It's just about people who are being and who are showing up and are listening to, you know, um, you're seeing this shift to a desire for authenticity and something that's just kind of real and rooted in love, you know.
0: Um, People are looking for moments with God. Yeah,
1: yeah. I and they're not they're not looking for awesome moments with a musician. Yep, or awesome moments with a preacher. Although those are like. I mean, those hit good. Like, yeah. you know, you get a skilled guy in the pulpit, and you're like, "Oh yes, what he said." Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And you, you know, kind of go to church or whatever. But that's not the stuff, man. That's that. That's not. That's not the substance of walking with Jesus, and walking with people out of broke to the gospel, which is what ministry is really all about.
0: Cool. Uh, anything that I may have missed with the residency program that you would want to talk about?
1: Um, uh, I'm usually asked in residency, um, like, what is it that you do and blah, blah, blah. So let me do a little bit of that. Okay. And then um, the other thing I want to do is I just want to talk to, I want to say a word to churches about how they can be and should be doing it. All right. Okay. So make sure i remember both of those okay. um so in terms of what we do our residency program the way we structured it it has a classroom aspect we read books we have lectures we have written assignments it's basically a topic a month one topic one book one written assignment a month more or less those are kind of how the units work through so classroom is one aspect and then there's a whole set of assignments that are called field experiences so like my first year my first semester residents have to have 12 gospel conversations that they log and tell me how they went, you know, and that's usually uh, oh my gosh, I you know, there's lots of levels of discomfort because most Christians are not sharing at that active level. And I understand because, you know, a lot of the time not either. And um, but it it helps them sort of break up the logjam jam of their being accustomed to non-evangelization. <laughs> Right. And so you have things like that um, Other like just here, ministry you need to get along the way. so we have, have that. So field experiences, classroom stuff, field experiences, and then um, a supervised ministry is the other one because all of my residents are serving in some capacity at one of our networks under the leadership of one of our pastors. That's kind of the context in which they're practicing and deploying all the stuff that they're learning in the other two areas. So, um, the three things that we've kind of structured our program.
0: Um, okay. And then, but still, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and then the doing it part, like you, uh, with the churches, like how, uh, you, you said, remind you about that one.
1: Yeah. 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 So, um, One of the things the North American mission board has been doing is we've been encouraging churches to start residency programs. Now we're doing that because we don't have enough church planters in the pipeline, right? The main limiter of our ability to plant more churches, it's not money, it's not willingness, and it's not opportunity. It's leaders like that is they've been encouraging churches to start a residency programs, where ours has been gone for a while and it's built up and it's gotten more complex over the years. And we're in Spanish and I've got 60 students and it seems uh, right to somebody who's never done anything like that. It seems so unattainable. And I'm like, yeah, but it started with six and a book list. And I'm like, anybody can do that. Right.
0: It started, I, um, hang on. It started with what I, there was a little bit of a glitch there. I just want to make sure people caught that.
1: Six guys and a book list. Okay. That's basically what it was at the beginning. And it's kind of grown in complexity for me. But the process doesn't have to be that important. Here's the thing that I would say any church of any size, like a church of 50 people with a part time pastor, can do a version of this, right? Find somebody who's willing to be developed and bring them with you like Jesus. Um, so a couple things about that. One is we talked about this coming leadership crisis in the church, mm-hmm. right? Right. Here's a question. Whose responsibility is that to solve? Who's going to solve it? I, I guess the denomination say- going to solve it. Denomination are going to solve it. Cause what are denominations they of? They're made of, of churches Are seminaries going to solve it. No. where do seminaries get their students from? They get them from churches. Ordinary local churches. So every church needs to own some measure of this big kingdom problem. Okay. And the way you do that is you look inside and say, "Who is here who could lead at a higher level, all the way up to pastor?" Okay. Because like uh, in a lot of a uh, lot of churches that I see, the normal thing is, "Hey, we want to connect with guests. We want to get them." We want to get them to a membership class, we want to get them saved, we want to get them baptized, we want to give them in a group, we want to get them serving the end.
0: <laughs>
1: and so we'll get them to like 33% on the Christian leadership ladder, and we never ask any more of them, except for a few that we try to get to be group leaders so that we can keep the machine going, right? But like, what about, what if the church of 60 people could send out a church planter? or could develop a pastor or a missionary that they could send to take ownership of the greater kingdom. Um, There's a church down in Miami. They started three years ago. They just sent out a church planter to plant three years old, three Mm -hmm. years old. And like they're not gigantic, right? The point is, it can be done. It's just a question of priority. You look at the life of Jesus. He spent most time in leadership development. Mm The vast majority of his time was in leadership development. Ooh, there's a lot I could say about that. Let, <laughs> let me come up. Let me come up for air. <laughs> okay. All right.
0: Uh, so let's let's go to a little bit of a different place and just uh, do some really okay. practical things. Uh, so our three focuses are to uh, educate those thinking about jumping into ministry, equipping those who are in ministry. And then encouraging those who are thinking about jumping out. So let's start with the education. Uh, what's one thing that may may have surprised you? Like when you started in ministry, full time vocational ministry. What's one thing that may have surprised you? Or like, oh, I didn't know that about the church. a uh,
1: um, couple things I could say. Uh, let, let this one because I had I had this conversation with. Um, One of our student pastors, bivocational student pastor who serves at my church. Great guy. Just great. Loves Jesus. Um, So. Why is it that people get into youth ministry? It's because they love kids and they love hanging out with them, blah, 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 blah. Now, you know this. And then you become a youth pastor and you realize, wait, it's not about hanging out with the kids. The youth pastor's responsibility is to develop a team of leaders who do all the fun stuff that you used to get to do, but now that you can't do anymore. Yes. Right? And so as you move up in leadership, like it changes. I think everyone enters ministry as a specialist. Okay. And then matures into a generalist. Okay. So here's what I mean. We hire a youth pastor. Why? Because he's young and he's cool and he likes kids. He's got a lot of energy. Like that's a specialist thing, right? Why do we hire uh, worship pastors? Because they have a good voice and they can play and sound good on the stage, blah, blah, blah. Like that's a specialist ministry. But if the youth pastor who's cool and is good with the kids grows, what's he gonna develop? He's gonna develop his preaching and teaching skills. He's gonna develop his uh, volunteer skills. He's gonna learn how to lead teams to do, uh, to pull off, you know projects and camps and things like that okay those are generalist skills mm-hmm. right i look at my pastor jimmy sparkins who's one of the just absolute triple a top tier uh leaders in terms of capacity and you know raw talent like this guy's such a baller well he started out as a youth pastor it was him and and he's even said this he's like some of his favorite memories in ministry are him and 12 kids in a van going on a trip okay yeah. that's that's where he started well he has matured into a generalist like uh what does he do for family church for our giant thing he's preaching and teaching he's casting vision and he's leading teams and making hard decisions
0: <laughs> yeah. that's definitely Seriously, making
1: the hard decisions yeah. that nobody else has the guts to make yeah um, that's another generalist kind of thing. This is also why CEOs of major companies from one industry to another, to another, to another, because the specialist stuff doesn't matter. The companies have those people on the ground. And so you could go from a food company over to a technology company, over to an engineering firm, blah, 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 at the top level, because it's all generalist skills. Yeah.
0: Um, I used to have a pastor. He would look at me from time to time when we had a hard decision to make and he'd be like, you want to trade chairs or you, you, I'd be like, nah, I'm good over on this side of the table.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, and one of the things that makes my pastor a really good leader is how to make a hard decision. He's not scared to. Yeah. Um, I think it was Tim Ferriss who said that your success in any area of your life is directly proportional to your willingness to have uncomfortable conversations.
0: That would make sense, uh,
1: and, I, and I and I think
0: that's. True. I I read uh, the painful side of leadership by Jeff Yorg, and one of the, like the sentence from that that I remember is a church cannot grow beyond its pastor's willingness to experience pain, I, and that's just another way. Wow, of it.
1: there's layers behind that sentence, man. Oh yeah, that's great. That's great. I haven't read that book. I got a hmm, painful side of leadership.
0: Yep i read that oh man it might be it might be 15 ish 12 to 15 years ago but that's i go back to that sentence a lot yeah so whenever i have a hard decision jeff yorg pops into my head (laughs) i'm like am i willing to walk (laughs) through this pain yeah it's good uh all right equipping uh i feel like we've you've done a lot of equipping already but what's one tool that maybe you wish you had at the beginning of your ministry career uh, that you have now, but you wish you would have had it a little bit sooner.
1: Um, This is not so much a tool as it is just a posture of my own. Okay. Um, At the beginning of ministry, and I I think it took me a long time to really shake this off, I felt like I had to do everything. Hmm. I did not lean into... uh, Teams or others or mentors, uh, I undervalued relationships um, because I, you know, I have I have sort of like the basic posture of a doer. Like I'm an execution guy. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to get it done. Blah 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 blah. I know how to task 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 Um uh, Ministry is all about relationships, not just in the these are the people that I'm ministering to relationships, mm-hmm. but also in the Here are the people that I'm ministering with relationships and people that I need speaking into me so that I can be an effective minister. And so I would just say, uh, um, the quality of your relationships, mentors, volunteers, teams, all of that, that that's a, that's a good thing to look at something I'm continuing to work to strengthen myself. Okay.
0: And then what's one piece that you would encourage people that maybe uh, maybe they are some of those that are burnout, that you know they're, they're just trying to hang on for dear life, but they're, they're trying to figure out why they need to keep going. What's a piece of encouragement that you would give to those people that are trying to process whether or not they're going to step away?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say is that soul care, and by soul care, I mean care for your own soul. Okay um, soul care is your responsibility. God delegates it to you in the word, right? Uh, You think about things like Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely.
0: Okay.
1: Watching Timothy's life is Timothy's job, right? Watching Mark's life is Mark's job. Watching Tim's life is Tim's job, right? Um, and you do not have to apologize for exercising the responsibility to care for your own soul. Um, I think a lot of people burn out in ministry because there's a failure of soul care along in there, right? They don't take, take care of themselves physically. They don't take care of themselves emotionally. Um, you know, sometimes churches can just beat the heck out of you and uh, Sometimes people in that situation, they need to step away from ministry for a while. Sometimes they just need to go to a different church because they're like they're you know, there are bad situations out there. Um, but I, I think the responsibility for soul care is embedded in the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That as yourself thing, I think communicates the priority and the necessity of personal soul care in the life of every Christian. And I think people in ministry, they're servants, they like to just grind on and blah, blah, blah. And it's my cross to bear and all this kind of thing. And uh, and, and, well, there's a lot more I could say about that, but just the responsibility for soul care is yours. So do it. And you don't have to apologize for it and you don't have to earn it. You don't have to earn the right, you don't have to earn the right to care for your soul. You don't have to earn the right to rest. Mm-hmm. Um, I see this a lot. Um, for the Hebrews, the day began at sundown. The day starts with rest. The first thing you do is nothing for eight hours. And then you wake up into the activity that God has been doing all night. And then you, And then you work and you labor, and then you start again from rest, right? Following Jesus starts from rest and then moves into work. It's not, Oh, I have to work so that I can rest this, yes. you rest yeah. first. And then we get, to it.
0: that's a major culture, cultural shift. Like,
1: Oh, I know. <laughs> well, and for me too, like I'm yeah. a doer, yeah. I'm a doer, but the Lord has spoken this into me over the years and, um, just one example of this. Um, I go to bed at nine thirty. I just go to bed. First of all, there's nothing good that happens after nine. Apologies to the night people. I'm I'm, I'm a morning person, so I get it. <laughs> but uh, but I learned a long time ago. I'm not losing sleep for hardly anything. Now you know. Will I get up at two o'clock in the morning if somebody calls me or if there's a crisis? Yeah, sure. But most of the time. I just go to bed, man. Because oh. I need eight hours of sleep to function as a human being. And if I get five or six, I'm more vulnerable to temptation. Uh I'm, I'm crabby I'm cross. I'm disagreeable. but it's not a good. In order for me to be the Christian, I need to be much less leader. Go to bed. Anyway, that's just one thing.
0: Yep. So I, I shoot for nine o'clock. Uh so that's I'm very much in the same way. Uh, and because I my body, uh, just as I get older, my body wakes up at five <laughs> o'clock. <laughs> I, and I know that. So if I know my body's going to wake up at five, I have to go to bed at nine. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it it does make a world of difference. So I won't go too much into this because it's my story. I'll tell it later. But. Uh, a few years ago, I I burned out, bad depression. Mm. I was trying to fight through it as a pastor <laughs> leading a church, and it was rough. And uh, one simple thing that I changed is I drank more water, and I went mm. to bed.
1: Yep, <laughs> oh,
0: I got mine, too, right here. Let's <laughs> go. Here, I'll 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 go ahead and show off Multiply Illinois. For everybody Good branding, man. Good branding. <laughs> Mine,
1: mine's generic. Okay, all right. nothing on it.
0: I'll give I'll give Multiply Illinois a little love there. Um, there you go. Yes. So, who were some of the the individuals that mentored you, like throughout your ministry career, maybe yeah. even leading into it?
1: Yeah. So, um, when I came to faith uh, at Florida State, so Baptist Campus Ministry was great lifelong friends from there. And uh, the uh, campus ministry director there mentored me personally for two years. I was a president there for two years. And so like that investment was really, really huge. Um, I, I would say that's probably the one that was most formative. Okay. You know, I think when we come to faith, it's those first people who are speaking into it, man, they just have this disproportionate. Uh, disproportionate kind of impact but they even even like today um there's a guy in our staff he's probably 10ish years older than me mm-hmm. just sort of he was an ordinary pastor for us and now he's serving a different role in our in our organization but he's just one of these steady faithful got grown kids who are serving the lord he's being a grandfather but just loves Jesus and has done it steadily and faithfully. And like, I love sitting down with Keith Albertman, that guy. Uh, there's another guy on our staff, Kevin Mahoney. Uh, same thing. Like he's been local down here, West Palm Beach, loving on people and family support decades. And I'm like, I want to be like that when I grow up. And so I'm, I'm honored to know guys like that. Yeah.
0: And then I I enjoy asking this and I know that you have suggestions, but what are like two or three books that you just, you can't give them out fast enough. You can't recommend
1: them Mm.
0: uh, highly enough. Like what are the two or three books that everybody just needs to go purchase like right now?
1: Okay. Um, The giveaway might surprise you. Okay. So one that I love to give, especially to Anybody with the creative side hmm. um, is called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. That's, yep. Yeah. Um, I've read that several again, times. He's he's not a Christian, but the frame for he's like anytime you try to create something or implement change, you're gonna meet resistance. Yep. And it's like he might it he might as well be writing a book on demonology. It's like <laughs> so insightful. Yeah. Uh, great. He's a great communicator. So I love that. Um, all of my friends who are like in their young twenties, just getting started out, I buy them a book on personal finance. Okay. The one that I give them is I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi. Um, uh, he's not a Christian. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I sort of dislike the Dave Ramsey approach to Christian finance. Because like, and I know that like his system works and he's a really bright guy and all this kind of thing. But like, it's the culture of the, well, that dog don't hunt kind of thing. And now what are you stupid about, blah, blah, blah. It's this shaming guilt related kind of thing with finance that I just, I don't care for myself. Um, and the other thing is he kind of talks to people who are like in their thirties and forties and have tons of credit card debt. and yeah. And they kind of need a heavy hand, yeah. you know, to help them help them fight their way out of it. Um so no shade on Dave Ramsey. I've learned a lot from him, but I prefer this which is more attuned to human psychology a mo- little more encouraging. I give that okay. book away a lot. Um I love, love, love Gentle and Aloli by Dane Ortland. It is in my mind a biblical, the best kind of biblical corrective to everything that's wrong. With reformed church, ultimately. okay, right, like the reformed Theo Bros who're like, oh yeah, you know, in wrath of God and sovereigns of you know doctrines of grace and everything like that, and like they just need to be told how much Jesus really loves them, and like, and Central and Lily pulls it out. It's so good, man. Good for the soul. So that
0: was pretty good stuff, wasn't it? Like Mark had a lot of great insights into. Uh, churches developing church leaders, uh, and seeing how far they could go. Like that was the cool thing that that I loved about it is like let's develop you, and and sure you may not be the next senior pastor. You you may be a, a small group leader. You may be uh, just helping out in the student department, whatever. But let's think much larger, and let's think that we actually have people that could be leading churches uh, within our context or around the world and let's develop people like that one of the greatest things like that was absolute gold to me i've used it so many times since having this interview is actually looking at your development program your your if you want to even say your discipleship arm of your church and not viewing it as is it successful or not but viewing it as research and development where the whole goal is to learn from it like learning how we interact with people learning how to develop people learning how to keep growing people Uh, that was mind-altering for me uh and it has really helped me as i've leaned into uh to develop other people i hope that was an encouragement to you as well we have several more great episodes coming up uh we've got uh, we're going to have our first overseas person here in the next couple of uh, episodes. So hope you're ready to check that out and uh, looking forward to going there in our future. Thank you so much for checking this podcast out. If you would do me a favor, like, subscribe, uh, write, uh, review, all of those things help me out. We are available on Spot- Spotify, Audible, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, we're all over the place. Find us. uh, If you would share it, that would even help as well, just to get the word out there, because there's other people that need to be encouraged, need to be equipped. And if you are being that, like if you're getting that from this podcast, encourage other people by passing it around to them too. I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Look forward to seeing you next time.